Well, as we wait for uh, people to return from the bathroom or the co-op or wherever they went, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> let's not wait for them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the time in your word, as always, Lord. In your son's name, amen. Okay. A variety of passages this morning, starting with James 3. I've been thinking about something, talked to my wife and in those interminable hours in a car to Portland. We talk about things, and I've been talking to my father about this. There's so much, and I've been talking to um, wherever Tim Smallbridge is. I'm talking to Lucinda and Tim. There's Lucinda. Um, during the break about fake Christians and we're always concerned sometimes about the state of the church you go into an evangelical church and believing church and you wonder are these people believers they say all the true things but they don't seem to act that way sometimes you struggle yourself with assurance of salvation how do I know I'm a Christian how do I know I prayed the prayer strongly enough was I supposed to use a whip I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, penitentes or uh, the flagellants the uh, in the uh, high middle ages people were kind of discommoded by the state of things like we are today and huge masses of very distraught Catholics would be wandering through the countryside, groups of thousands, and they'd get to a church, they'd take off their shirts, and they would whip themselves till they fainted, and then they'd get up after they came to and walk to the next town and whip themselves till they fainted. The penitentes, they were paying for their sins. There are people today who get crucified in the Philippines, literally nails driven through their hands on a cross, People are very, want to, what does it take? What's the magic incantation? What did, what belief system do I have to adhere to? What creed needs to be believed? And then we, who are confident in our salvation, trying to minister uh, the gospel to somebody, we are trying to convince them of the truth of what group of pro, uh, uh, propositions. We were talking about it at Drones yesterday, about, oh, do you have to believe that Jesus is God? Well, yeah, you do. That's a truth claim, right? It's propositional. Do you have to believe in the Trinity? Uh, dicier. Do you have to believe in the penal substitutionary atonement? And you go, Pastor, I don't know what that is. good. What do you have to believe? We are, not only are, we have redesigned faith to be a body of claims that are true, and whether or not the unbeliever believes they're true. Okay? That's, it's a question of whether or not the right body of information is believed to be true by someone who should. And I think there's an error somewhere in that. 
There's nothing wrong with that, right? If, if I say 2 plus 2 equals 4, and little Johnny says, yes, teacher, I believe that to be true. I'm with you on that. Little Johnny gets to graduate to third grade. Probably first at that point, first grade. Johnny's slow. Okay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And I think the whole church, and so people come, you, they ask me about this church, and they say, well, how do I, how do I join? I say, well, you don't join. You're a Christian that's gathered together with believers, and if God has changed your life, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you're already a member of the saints here. Already. You might not come here often. You might come here just visiting once in a blue moon, but you're still a member of the saints here, already in Christ. Well, don't I have to believe a special set of... No. If you're already in Christ, you're members of the church. We are very insistent that there's a list of beliefs because we're Protestants, right? Faith. We've almost turned that faith into a, a belief command. So there's the problem. There's, there's something inadequate about that. And so sometimes, James 2, this first passage here on the left-hand side. James 2, famous passage because Martin Luther didn't like it. So faith, by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Ooh. Take that, St. Paul. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. We know this, well, anybody who's looked at church history and been in any kind of discussion with a uh, a works righteousness uh, religion, be it Roman Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy or Mormonism or whatever. They are much stronger on James. See, we believe in faith and works. You only believe because you're Protestants in faith. Now you say, well, that's, yeah, because that's what Paul taught and Romans and all sorts of Wonderful places in the scriptures. Yeah, I believe you were saved by grace through faith, not of works. <laughs> not only does James say faith without works is dead, Paul says you're saved without works. Now, what do we do? St. James and St. Paul. And pardon me for the typo there on the third line. Follow along for the true faith. True. It's a special kind of true. It's twice as much. True. Our argument with the works righteousness people who want to slap faith and works together because they look at faith and works as something I bring to God and get the grace from God for having shown him my good deeds and my belief. Be they ritual good deeds or be they moral good deeds, that's what they are, they're saying. And so we say, no, you're saved by grace through faith. 
It is not of your own doing, not of works, lest any man should boast. We all know the reference. When I say Ephesians, you go 2.8.9. Because we're Protestants. I hope you're not Protestants, but you know we, we kind of look like Protestants. We're not Protestants, we're Christians. And consequently, St. James and St. Paul have higher authority than any of us here, and we believe them both. So we're trying to come up with a way of speaking of this question. And so we generally say, show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. In other words, the life of the Christian, the works of the Christian, follow along if the faith was not dead faith, if it was true faith. I want to, I want to ruin that argument. I want to not, maybe not destroy it entirely. I think it is true that good works follow true faith. <coughs> but what happens in the average Christian church when that becomes a known con uh, concept? They start making rules for you of how you show your faith. Regular attendance, Bible memory, no short skirts. I think that's it, right? Is that it? No dancing, no cards, no bobbed hair, Erica. I read a track from the 1920s, which was bobbed hair and, you know, the road to hell. <laughs> and here's one in my congregation. And my wife is showing me a picture recently of her interests in a different hairstyle. I'm a little concerned about the faith in my family. Well, so that's what happened, right? We faith, yes. Did you walk the aisle? Did you believe the belief? Did you did you get convinced by the evangelist? Did you have the glory moment? You walked the aisle. You joined the church, and now to prove I had the faith, I got to do all the things that I'm supposed to do, including evangelism and including, you know, hospitality and. Whatever the church is into, they are making the rules for you because faith without works is dead. Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You go, all right, Paul's right on target. He is, no, we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. Then we want to jump from that point, the end of verse 2, back to James and saying, I'm going to now show you my works. Paul says, our, <coughs> his problem is not with someone not believing we're saved by faith. His problem is thinking that we go on to works from there. Are you so foolish? This is his objection. Having begun with the Spirit, you're now ending with the flesh. And he's not talking about, you know, Christians go out there, cheap grace, like the, the LDS people accuse you of. You know, you just believe, you can just believe, and you live whatever kind of life you want. No, not that kind of flesh. Did you experience so many things in vain, if it really is in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you work and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You were saved by hearing with faith. And then Paul says, you're going to live by hearing with faith. He denies us our explanatory sophistry in some ways to, get to, to try to blend James and Paul and the trap that is laid for the Christians that we march away from faith and right back into a law, a law for Christian moral behavior or a law for Christian involvement behavior. The world is filled with rule-making people. I don't like them. I don't like them when they're secular humanists and they talk to me about recycling or global warming. I want to litter. I really want to litter bad. I want to litter in such a way that it's flagrant. I want to take a cola cup from a major company like Coke, made out of something that will never, ever rot. I want to go to Portland and want it to be a 64 ounce that I didn't drink all of it because I'm going to waste half of it and I want to drop it in a public park on the grass. That's what I want to do. Because I don't like people who make rules. Or you say, or oh, you're a sinner. That's it. I don't like it in the church. I don't like it in society. Oh yeah, we need some rules. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta have those things. Uh, go ahead, do it. I'll be, I'll be nice. I won't litter. But for the Christian, that's not our life. Because we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. We live in the Spirit by hearing with faith. We don't live in the Spirit by keeping works of the law. So, now I've got a problem with James. Now I've got it. You just destroyed the easy explanation. Or St. Paul just, you know, kicked St. James down a flight of stairs. Did he? Or do we hamstrung by what we think faith is? Because you're supposed to be living by hearing with faith. That's what, getting up this morning, went to church, pastor said I'm supposed to be living my life by hearing with faith. Now what? Now what am I doing? What am I getting up and leaving? File down the aisle. Shake my hand at the door. Good sermon, Pastor. I don't know what you meant. <laughs> Couldn't you just give us a rule against short skirts? It only affects half the congregation anyway. They're just women. Or none of us want to go dancing anyway. I could preach against ice skating. I hear there was an ice skating... Uh, party last night. I know this because as I tried to doze off, the squealing of women in my home at what time? It was late, let's just say. There was squealing. The oracle was trying to sleep. Now, I can preach against that. You, you, you be, might be grateful. The, the church might grow. 
Because we can attract all the people who don't like ice skating. All the people who don't have good legs. All the women have to wear long skirts. How do we hear with faith? Our main passage today is Isaiah 26. You'll recognize some of the passages in Isaiah 26. In that day, and coming out of Isaiah 25, you go back and read, there's, there are messianic hopes in Isaiah 25. And it says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps faith may enter in. Thou dost keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So what is coming up, I'm going to come down through this passage, is what I want, an aspect of your faith, not that you've denied it, but you may not have thought of it as, as crucially definitional. Because we're in an apologetic, those of us who care about argument, and I do, I love them. They're just a blast. Um, and I've told you this before, but my basic tip, winning an argument, pick the right side. Okay? A lot easier. You can run over your enemies, no problem, when you pick the right position. If you want to know what that is, I'll tell you afterwards. The right position. We're apologetic. We like C.S. Lewis. We like Josh McDowell. We like anybody who teaches, you know, William Lane Craig. We, we read deeply into apologetic and arguments. and We go back to Thomas Aquinas or Augustine or whoever you like in, in history to defend the faith. And it turns, and the faith is the, the, the history of various confessions written. Various creeds written, defended unto death by various people. We make claims. This church doesn't even have a statement of faith. But that can confuse us. So I want you to see some things in this passage. That is keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. My mother had, uh, that's, is that the name of the hymn? She always sang this. Um, Thou dost keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And there is a descant that goes along with that. That's very, very nice. Which my mother sang all the time, which made me not pay attention to the verse <laughs> and what it meant. Because that's what happens to us when we sing hymns and the Haineses are there doing their parts and we're all learning parts and singing abide with me and nobody's thinking of abiding with Christ. Everybody's thinking how lovely that sounds. Whose mind is stayed on thee is in red. What's that mean? You get kept in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him because he trusts in thee. In other words, there's a faith. The nation which keeps faith may enter in, verse 2. There's a faith that's going on that has 
that's, that's not being drawn as a picture of truth claims. Truth claims granted. Truth claims are necessary to a working faith. You cannot believe that the great watermelon God is going to come down from heaven February next year and carry his people to the great watermelon fields of, of glory. It's not true. And people like Heaven's Gate cult will commit suicide out of great faith that it was true, that the mothership was there to, to take them away. Was that what it was called, the mothership? And there's then a Zeppelin album of the best of. And we went to see a funk band Thursday night called Othership. <laughs> it all comes together, a seamless tapestry. Okay, we're not in a cult. You're not going to commit suicide. You're not going to um, be forced to not play cards. What are we, but we're not, we're not denying that truth is essential to faith. I can't believe in the wrong and have it become right. Faith does not make truth out of something that isn't. That's the postmodern notion that if I, if I believe it, that's all the truth that is. I make it true for me. There's no truth for you. There's truth and there's false. The postmodernists think, oh, everybody gets to be true. Ah, no. Don't get that. But don't get hung up on whether the propositions that are being posed are the centerpiece of faith. And that's our problem this morning. Is your mind stayed on him? Because you trust in him. Trusting him, now you know that word trust. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We know that when we say, I believe that this is, that's true. When, when the wife comes home and she said, did you know that so-and-so was pregnant? You might come to a realization, well, that's true. Now, what's the difference between a man and a woman hearing that information? The man, I mentioned immediately, circular file, right? Just in the garbage, don't want to think about this, no more. Who cares if she's pregnant? She could have told me she was pregnant, and I could come home from Winco, I look at my wife and have nothing to tell her because nothing important happened. <laughs> nothing. But women hear it. Oh, we were at this club listening to the other ship. And it was probably not a club that you want to see your pastor in, okay? <laughs> Just think John's Alley subtracted by about 20 times quality from John's Alley. You went down a ramp from the sidewalk level. Not quite a basement but not where honest people will dwell. <laughs> it was kept dark intentionally because nothing wasn't sticky. Every seat was duct tape. Going to the bathroom, I've got to get tested, okay? <laughs> the women weren't following any church's standards. You say, what are you getting to here, Evan? Well, 
Other ship connection, this funk band. What a lineup. I mean, Farnell Newton was the headliner, Antonio's ear, uh, from the Doo Doo Funk All Stars. And they, they, you know, I'm not entirely white. I appreciated this. It was happening. My daughter got to sing. They called my daughter up on the stage to sing with them. And, uh, but midway through this, or early on, various of the band my, my daughter plays with regularly, Tyrone, Marquay, um, Ptah, Hotep, and Dave. <laughs> and then there was some, uh, well, there were two large black women. Saida, right, when she came in. Saida, well, is a big black woman. She's a singer, very, very good. She sang with Michael on the one song they were called up for. This has to do with the baby thing. She walked by our table, Michael calls out to her, Saida turns and Michael says, these are my parents. Well, a large black woman finding out that Michael's parents, who are really white, like those parents in my big fat wedding who were the, you know, Anglos. Uh, that's what we are like in this club. Um, we really don't look like we've got it going on. And, but Saida thought, well, let us embrace this man of the cloth with all of her volume she was thrilled, thrilled, giggling, you know, high-pitched. It was amazing. I felt welcomed. Now, it's not how I would, if I hadn't seen you in 20 years, and I love you all, and I ran into you at a club, I'd go, hey, good to see you again. Then forget your name. Saida had a greater feeling for that. Now, there's something about our approach to things that are true that matters, right? It's different. We know the difference. There's Evan and there's Saida. There is the average man and there is the average woman. Now, how could the guys understand this is hard? How did Al feel? I saw Al was in the box at the WSU game looking down on the minions and the WSU then won because he was in the box. Is that a, is that a moment, Al? Is that a... It was, I got to call plays down on the field. All right. <laughs> on that little Fisher-Price phone they gave you that, uh, yeah, it's really connected, Mr. Uh, Mr. Guy. We have probably situations when it really matters to what us to what try that and make that a sentence. It matters to us what is true. Remember Tim Tate was over visiting him a few years ago and we were talking, and as were usual, motorcycles would come up when Evan is talking informally. He said, Hey, my neighbor actually restores old triumphs. Maybe we could go look at them. Now, I don't have many emotions. 
two, max, max two. That was one of them. I tried not to hurry, not to look like any kind of eagerness was in my step. We turned the corner on the alley and then there's this garage with Nortons and BSAs and Triumphs, all English bikes, being restored. I wept <laughs> inside, not wept outside. Certain things touch me, drawn to it. When someone reads The Charge of the Light Brigade by Alfred Lord Tennyson, I am moved every time. We know what it is to believe the truth in something and to be moved by it. Where we want to go where it is. We want to find where that truth resides and stay on it. We don't like being taken away from that garage where all those triumphs were being restored. Women would go to baby showers 24-7 if they could. Maybe that's an exaggeration. <laughs> Faith is directional. It knows which direction it's going to turn regarding this truth. It turns toward it. It leans toward it. lists toward it. It wants it. It seeks it. Your step picks up, like Evans did, walking around the corner to that garage with the motorcycles in it. When a dear friend that you really actually love shows back up in your life, you want it, you seek it, you list it toward it, you're directed toward it. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has brought low the inhabitants of the height the lofty city, he lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples at the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The way of the righteous is level. Thou dost make smooth the path of the righteous. Whatever we encounter, now the world is out there chasing after the things they believe in. Because just because Christians are about faith, and we talk about it a lot, everyone has faith, everyone has a work that is applying this, that says they really believe in that which they turn towards, they list towards, they want, they seek. It could be the almighty dollar, it could be relationships, it could be family. And you will hear them in their voices what they defend as the most important thing, like we're joking about these various low-level things. Some people, it's the nation, my country, right or wrong. But if you have ever messed with my family, and we kind of think those things are noble, right? The Kaiser's a patriot. They got family values. The Lord's looking at that and going, you know, those are all challenges. They are true faith. That's where you don't have any problem understanding your faith there. If you have family first, you know what faith in Jesus Christ means. The problem is, it's not in Jesus Christ. The problem is, it's in your family. The problem is, it's in your nation. The yearning. There in verse 9 in red, My soul yearns for thee in the night. 
My spirit within me earnestly seeks thee. You had a fork in the road. That which you say you believe in church when you recite the Apostles' Creed. Yes, there are churches that do that. And I would have no objection to you reciting the Apostles' Creed altogether. I believe the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I'm just a little worried about doing it. But some churches do it every week. Yes, you say you believe that. Yes, you're a member of an official church. Yes, you're, you're going to be buried in a church graveyard. But the fork in the road is between who you seek in a moment, who you think of in the night. Where is your earnest pursuit? Because this is much easier to judge. Because think about judging how strongly you believe in the truth of something. Really, I mean, how strongly do you believe that true 2 plus 2 equals 4? Most of you don't have any doubts about that one, right? Um, measuring your belief. I generally believe in color theory, but I know philosophically better than to insist on its truth. These walls are black when the lights go out. And they really are black. They're not white in the dark. They're black. There is no sound in the forest when the tree falls with no one to hear it. We, we believe things all the time and we're always wondering how strong is my belief or what is it rooted in or the arguments for Jesus or the gospel or the canon or the, you know, the, the, the writings of Paul and whatever it is, we're, we're constantly having those thrown at us and we're defending ourselves against these claims on our truth. That's hard to judge. People still fight about it. You could go through times like we're praying for uh, Andrew Engel. People can go through phases where they, oh, I doubt everything. You very easily know. You can run a dipstick into you this afternoon and pull it out and know how your faith is. You just don't want to look at that too much. Wouldn't it be great if you could just look at propositional claims and, and just kind of know whether or not your agreement with it was total and absolute? You believe that Jesus was God, you believe he died for your sins, you believe, and you, you could know just how much, how many ohms, is that what you'd use, or watts? You got a meter go doing. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got 110 watts for Jesus, and his deity, 120, and the Trinity is 65. Wouldn't it be great if there was just a little meter you could each week check on your faith? But you could check on your faith because you know where your mind is stayed. You know where it hangs out. You know where it looks, what it wants. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. 
If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals perversely and does not see the majesty of the Lord. What we're concerned about, we don't see the majesty of the Lord. And not just he doesn't agree the Lord is majestic. He doesn't see it. O Lord, thy hand is lifted up, but they see it not. Let them see thy zeal for thy people and be ashamed. Let the fire for thy adversaries consume them. O Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou hast wrought for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides thee have ruled over us, but thy name alone we acknowledge. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, thou hast visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. That's a key thing in this passage. That can be anything. What he's claiming is, we have had at various times other lords, other faiths. They could have been other gods. They could be kings. They could be famous people. They could be trendsetters. They could be family members. They could be guides to your thinking. But they are dead. Our choice has to be thy name alone we acknowledge. Everything the Lord claims, we claim with him. So, well, what if he doesn't claim? Well, he, if he's given you freedom to think on a certain subject about, you know, we're arguing over which band is better or which girl is prettier, those are good arguments to have. There's no scripture that says Susie Q is prettier than Sally Y. But wherever God has expressed himself, do you stand there because you want to stand close to him? Your desire, not merely your act assent to the proposition. They don't live, these other authorities, because you don't get to be without faith. You dwell somewhere. Some, of, some spiritual lives are more like homeless people, but some spiritual lives are more like suburban people. They go make a nice home. On the authority, you know, you, you look at some of the Judeo-Christian tradition, Colleges like Hillsdale or whatever that not really Christian, they're just sort of Judeo-Christian. They, they like civilization. I was talking to Nick Rozier last night about the uh, University of Chicago great books set, Mortimer Adler and those kind of people put together because they love the, the West and the civilization that is the West. And they can build a pretty nice neighborhood for you to live in. It isn't Jesus Christ. It will do nothing for you in the long run. It isn't faith in the Lord. It's faith in something else. We have to ask ourselves, do we desire to serve him only? Do you fight with the scriptures? Because you want to keep the Lord's that you haven't yet admitted are dead. You at your worst has been when those things have ruled. You're in your most calamitous moments when man runs things. Look at the world today. I've told you this repeatedly over the last few months, that all the wickedness in the world is your fault. You were just about ready to blame it on God. 
But no, it's your fault. Because you believe you have a right to pick the wrong Lord. So does everybody else. If you have the right, they have the right. All the calamity in the world is laid at your feet. We have, when we pick a Lord, when we understand the truth, that truth must be directional. It must want. It must seek. And you know how much you seek. This is called a Bible. Okay? It's a Harper's Study Bible. Revised Standard Version. You can get your own versions. They sell them at bookstores. They even have them online. You can go on your Kindle. You can get them as audiobooks. It's the Bible. You know how familiar you are with it. There's no test, no blue book getting handed out today. What if you, when was the last time you read through the Bible? I don't know when that was. Was it ever? Have you read all the Gospels? Not because this is an assignment. We're not creating works for you to do. We want you to measure where you stand. What's your direction? Where do you list toward? That's your faith. If it's true, and there is ample philosophical, historic defense for the truth of Christianity, it's like, you know, shooting ducks in a barrel, if that's the right. Fish in a barrel, ducks in a pond. Okay, easy, whatever case it is. It's easy. We've overdone the apologetic. We know that. We have a problem with Christians wanting it. People who claim Christ. We have to set aside the other gods. But thou hast increased the nation, O Lord, thou hast increased the nation, thou art glorified. Thou hast enlarged all the borders of the land, O Lord. In distress they sought thee, they poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them, like a woman with child who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near her time, so that we, because of thee, O Lord, we were with child, we writhe, we have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have wrought no deliverance in the earth. The inhabitants of the world have not fallen. You know, when we disobeyed, when we didn't do what God asked of us, when the chastening was upon us, we felt the calamity. We felt the working of God's world fixing us. That which we were trying to bring forth, it was like passing gas, not bringing forth a child. And we wrought no deliverance in the earth. Thy dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, O dwellers in the dust. Awake and sing for joy, for thy dew is the dew of light, and on the land of the shades thou wilt let it fall. That is the promise of the messianic thing. That Isaiah is scratching his head in the Old Testament. This is uh, Isaiah's back in the oh, 600s, late 700s B.C. waiting for the Messiah, not quite understanding what it is, but here it is, the raising of dead people into this newness of life, where if that newness of life is believed, not just the truth of it, 
but the direction of it in you, it raises the dead. You were raised to newness of life. It measures your faith. Now this next passage, and we do deal with these, wrap this up with this Lamentations passage. I was thinking of dealing with this first. It took more context than, and I, and I ended up with the Isaiah passage, but I wanted to share this with you. But this I call to mind. Lamentations, as the book's name suggests, is five chapters of Lamentations. You know, just like the Middle East can lament. Crying about everything. But right there in the middle, chapter three, he goes, you know, He's been talking about how bad it is. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Those are, you might say, words you could use on the dipstick, little markers. You know, I would check my oil before I drove to Portland to make sure the oil went up to that little, there's an E and there's an F, and you wanted to go up to the F, which means full. How about hope, waiting, seeking, in quiet? No matter how bad it gets, no matter how rotten this country becomes, no matter if the Gay-Lesbian Alliance makes you do gay weddings in your church or be killed, it could get bad. Temples to Baal down on Friendship Square. Who knows? Or just something awful happens to you and your family. Something awful that you can't imagine the pain of it. Do you stand in him? Is all of what he is, unshakable, faithful, merciful, his steadfast love, his mercies, are new every morning? Do you hope in him? Do you wait for him? Do you seek him? Are you quiet in him? What kind of, re my father always said, the kind of, whatever comes out of the glass when you push it over is what was in the glass before you pushed it over. It's not like glasses of honey turned to vinegar when you push them over. You're not all sweetness and light, except when it gets pushed over. Say on the way out of the church, I get overcome by the evil demon. And there you are, with your back turned me at the top of the steps outside. With your hands on your hips, your legs akimbo. And I could just see a hand in the middle of that back. There'll be no recovery. There's about seven steps. Skin your knees. You know, not something when you go to the hospital or anything, but just a lot of pain. A small calamity. Heal up in a week. What's your problem? Full of vinegar. Is the Lord everything or is physical comfort everything? I love physical comfort. I have comfortable chairs in my house. 
I have put on weight to be comfortable. I do comfortable hobbies. Smoke. Read. What's going to happen when it gets rough for the Christians? Heaven's going to be trouble. Measure yourself. Are you standing in him? Is your desire for him how strong? Be honest with yourself. How strong is my desire to know the living God? I have all this information sitting there, over there on the end table. Do I pick it up? Do I care? Do I ask questions of my fellow believers? Do I answer questions when I know the answer? Because frankly, and this, I, I split the James passage up for this reason. Because James has this wonderful line here on James 2.19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And shudder. So it really is a question, isn't it? Not of whether or not God is true. Satan knows that God is true. Satan believes the Apostles' Creed. Everything in it. The demons recognize Jesus Christ long before the crowds of people. What's the problem? The truth of it had been proved to them. No question there. All the apologetic was done. But the measuring thing that went into them found out whether or not what their direction was. We preached about it a few weeks ago with that scribe and the Lord says to him, you're not far from the kingdom. His direction was represented. What's your direction? What do you want? Not what do you claim to be true. Do you want it to be true? What Phil said about Andrew. Does he want to be a Christian? Do you want to be a Christian? If you suddenly found out today that you weren't, something about the message, you know, hmm, I'm actually not a Christian. Do I want to be a Christian? Do you? Do you want to follow Jesus Christ? Or do you shudder when you think of the things that are true about him? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful. Be good to us. Help us be good before you. Help us yearn for you, seek you, stay in you. Point people towards you. In your son's name, amen.